Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Number 22 of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, here with Tony Pauline, and we've got a lot to get to in this week's show. Last week, we previewed the national title game and talked about the contest reverberating throughout the scouting community beyond just the 2019 NFL Draft. And Tony, I guess you could say we were almost prophetic about that. Absolutely. And this is a game that NFL scouts will look back on and talk about, you know, when they interview these prospects, not just for the April of 2019 draft, but for the next two drafts, especially if, you know, Tagliavoa comes out in 2020 and then you've got Trevor Lawrence uh, potentially coming out or, you know, we talk about him in 2021, the flavor of the day right now. Everyone's head over heels about him and the way he played. He played very good, but I think they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. So this is something that, uh, you know, we talked about because there was so much talent on the field. I thought the big winners were the Clemson defensive linemen. Uh, I thought Christian Wilkins played a great game. I I thought there were some winners on the Alabama side of the ball. But let's talk about that that Clemson defensive line, Chris. Absolutely. And as much as Clemson's offense was really explosive and put up a ton of points in this game, this game was really one up front in a lot of ways when Alabama had the ball, thanks to that Tigers defensive line. Cleveland Farrell, a guy that you've been very high on and, and really kind of pushed towards the uh, the Jets at the top of next year's draft. He had a great game up front, four tackles, one and a half for a loss. There was one play, and I'm sure anybody who's listening to this podcast has seen it, whether they saw it live or whether they've seen it on social media or highlights of it, where he just steamrolls Jonah Williams on his way to the quarterback, runs him right over, makes him just look awful and again it's just one rep so let's not get too carried away it's you know Jadavian Clowney knocked someone's helmet off years ago and it took him a couple of years to adjust to the NFL too so one rep isn't everything but that was super impressive there was a play where he was kind of held up at the line of scrimmage no real head of steam Damian Harris is running through the hole no leverage on Cleveland Farrell's part and he just stops Damian Harris right in his track so he showed off that explosiveness off the field and he showed off strength at the point really just a complete player Christian Wilkins, you mentioned him, the other dominant force on the Clemson defensive line. He beat double teams and, you know, kind of went through holding penalties with just pure strength. He was quick to recognize when offensive linemen were out of position and respond with either a swim or another quick move to penetrate into the backfield. And Austin Bryant, who's had a rough year, and Albert Huggins, who was filling in for Dexter Lawrence, they made some plays too. Tony, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, past two years, coming into the season, Christian Wilkins has been ranked by NFL scouts as the top prospect in the nation. Before the 2017 season, they graded him as a junior and he was the number one player. He was also the number one player uh, this year coming into this campaign tied with the Washington tackle, Trey Adams. And you saw why in that game, scouts think so highly of him. As as you mentioned, I mean, he's just a great combination of size, power, athleticism, explosion. He can collapse the pocket. He can rush the passer couple times behind the line of scrimmage, he's got that great change of direction. He can pursue laterally. Cleveland Farrell made a lot of plays that didn't show up on the stat sheet, was getting a lot of pressure up the field, and was basically forcing the action. Like you said, Austin Bryant had a little bit of a difficult time against the run. I noticed a couple times in the first half when Cleveland Farrell was lined up against Jonah Williams, they ran to the right away from Cleveland Farrell. 
And then in the second half, uh, Alabama ran to the left when Austin Bryant was lined up against Jonah Williams. I don't know if that was by design, but the second half, they were picking up a lot of yardage when Bryant was lined up uh, over Williams. But it wasn't just a defensive line. I mean, Trey Lamar, who's already uh, declared for the draft, he had a terrific game. Trayvon Mullen, who I graded as a potential first-round pick last July when I did my Clemson preview, he was fantastic, had that nice pick. Granted, he didn't have to battle for the ball, but the fact that he was able to track the ball, adjust, make the interception, bring it back, just shows you something about his instincts, his ability to find the ball in the air, as well as his agility. I was very impressed with Isaiah Simmons, as I have been over the past, really, two seasons. Played linebacker this year. I don't know. I still like him as a strong safety. But really, we saw just great talent throughout that uh, Clemson defense, which basically stymied the Alabama offense. And then you got to look at Mitch, uh, Mitch Hyatt, uh, their left tackle, who I thought did a terrific job. You know, the, Alabama doesn't have great pass rushers, but they do have good athletes. They're very explosive. The Raekwon Davis, the Isaiah Bugs on the outside. And Mitch Hyatt did a real good job. He's not the grit. He's not the most athletic offensive tackle. He's not the prettiest guy sliding out. But as I said, again, in my July preview of Clemson, he's a guy who plays with great fundamentals. He uses great body positioning and angles to protect his quarterback. And, and I thought he was terrific, really, for four quarters throughout that game. I've had Hyatt rated higher than most. I've given him a third or fourth round grade. Most people see him as a uh, fifth or sixth rounder. But I think he showed he showed everyone at national championship game why I grade him so high. Absolutely, Hyatt definitely played well in this one. Matchup often, as you mentioned, with Isaiah Bugs. Overall, he got the better of the matchup. Uh, he anchored well on the edge. He kept his base nightly. He wasn't one to fall for quick pass rush moves. And you know, again, not. An elite athlete, like you said, but a guy who just in this case got the job done. Trevor Lawrence was kept pretty clean overall in this game, and Hyatt was really able to keep defenders away from him. Bugs ended up with six tackles, but really didn't have any impact plays. He's actually a guy who, in this game, his stock kind of went down a little bit because most people have Isaiah Bugs rated higher than Mitch Hyatt. Mitch Hyatt won that matchup. Now, it's not all one-on-one, -on -one, but at the same time, Isaiah Bugs' impact was very limited in this game, limited pressure on the quarterback. Another guy on the Alabama defense who probably saw his stock drop a little bit was safety Deontay Thompson. Um, he was burnt on that big Justin Ross touchdown where Ross caught the ball and I think it was Savion Smith fell down at the line of scrimmage or hurt himself. Thompson was there in the open field against Ross. Ross makes one quick cut. Thompson wasn't able to react quickly enough, and it ends up being a long touchdown. He was a tick slow seeing that play. He was a tick slow seeing other plays, too. Didn't make a big impact in the run game either, so it was kind of a tough night for Deontay Thompson as well. Tony, did anyone else perform below expectations in your eyes? Well, I think Quinn and Williams came back down to earth. I mean, he was a guy who was dominating and improving every week. Did not have the game that I think a lot of people expected him to have. And once again, I was just not impressed with Jonah Williams. I mean, a lot of people have projected him as a top 10 pick. I did a lot of interviews leading up to the game uh, with ESPN, with the New York Post, with guys that thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. And I said, I, I don't view him as that type of player. I don't even know if he's going to play tackle at the next level. You mentioned the Cleveland Farrell uh, play when Farrell knocked him back off the line of scrimmage. There were a couple times where he struggles to adjust. He just shows some stiffness in his game. I think he's more of a guard. I think he's more of a bottom half of round one type of guy. I really think he was exploited. Want to get back to uh, something you said about Savion Smith. When Savion Smith went down, he's the guy who I know is considering entering the draft. When he went down, they first thought that he had torn his Achilles. The x-rays were negative. He's still getting it checked out. He's going to decide on, on it, what he's going to do at the next level. But when he went down, there was some serious concern about, about that injury. 
it wasn't a uh, torn Achilles. Hopefully he'll be okay. Uh, I think a lot will be determined over the next couple of days. We've got to talk a little bit about tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence, a guy who really capped off a terrific season. I mean, there was some controversy in the beginning when he replaced uh, Kelly Bryant, who was uh, now on his way, I believe, to Missouri, left the program and, and didn't make everybody happy. But, you know, he came through. He had a good game. I, I don't think he had a great game. I think there were other players on the Clemson team, the defenders we mentioned, Obviously, the uh, receiver, Justin Ross, that were as good as him. And I know people are head over heels from him about him. There was one uh, well-known sports talk host here in New York who basically said, who said yesterday that he thinks Trevor Lawrence is Hall of Fame material. I think that's a bit over the top. There's good reason to get excited about Trevor Lawrence, just like there was good reason to get excited about Sam Darnold, his, rookie, his freshman year in, at USC, and, and Andrew Luck, his freshman year at Stanford, and even... Uh, even Peyton Manning, when uh, his freshman year at Tennessee, when he was sharing time with uh, Brandon Stewart. But a lot has to be played out before Trevor Lawrence is anointed this great next franchise quarterback. He shows the traits, he shows the makings, but you know, let's give it a rest for a little while before uh, we, we already anoint him as the top pick in the uh, 2021 draft. One name you didn't mention there of guys who looked like top picks after their freshman season was Christian Hackenberg. Now, not no part of me thinks that Trevor Lawrence's career is going to go the way Christian Hackenberg's did. Uh, you know, first off, his offensive line is going to stay in place. He's not losing a receiver uh, that carried him like Allen Robinson to the NFL. So he has that supporting cast that's going to stay around him and help him develop. And also, they're just not really comparable. But that kind of shows the danger of overrating a player based on his freshman season. With that being said, Trevor Lawrence looked like a veteran player as a true freshman. He's stuck in the pocket. He took some big hits against a great defense to get passes off. Those passes ended up exactly where they needed to be for his receivers to make the play. He showed incredible poise and arm talent, threw with anticipation, read coverages very well. You can definitely understand why there is a lot of hype around him as a guy who, if he were eligible for this year's draft, which he's obviously not, would be in the mix to be the first quarterback taken. You can get it. You can understand it. But as you said, Pump the brakes a little bit. He's got two years left. If that development continues and this performance continues, then he's absolutely going to be the number one pick in 2021. But that is a long, long way away right now. Since we are already on the topic of underclassmen, now's a good time to talk about those who have already declared for the draft. But before we do, please be sure to support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you ask a question in your review, we'll do our best to answer it on the show if there's time at the end. You can also tweet us questions at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe underscore LA to get in touch with the show as well. Getting back to the underclassmen here, we've already set a new record of underclassmen declarations. We still have several days to go until the deadline. This is, I don't know how many consecutive years we've set a record, but it's only going to continue because there are a number of reasons that kids leave college early for the NFL draft. Primarily, obviously, they believe that they're going to be early selections, whether it's day one, whether it's day two, whatever it is. But we already have more declarations than we have picks in the first two days of the draft. So obviously it runs a little bit deeper than that, doesn't it, Tony? It absolutely does. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Obviously, some players leave because they're top rated. You know, the Nick Boses of Ohio State, the Ed Olivers of Houston, you know, Nick Boses' teammate, Dwayne Haskins. That's understandable. There are also sometimes financial reasons why uh, players leave. You know, they may come from just almost destitute situations where the family needs money. In some instances, players are so broke they cannot eat uh, at college. And what do I mean by that? 
There's a player who's at, who's entered the draft that we've spoken about m- multiple times on this podcast out of the Mac. Who I know for a fact, he was telling people that one of the reasons he couldn't stay in school was he didn't have enough money to eat when the training table at school closed. So if it was an odd, an odd hours on the weekend or, or something at night, I mean, if he was hungry, he just didn't have enough money to go out and purchase something, uh, something to eat. And he felt it was hampering his development, his physical development. So that's another reason why, financial reasons. Sometimes players run out of options. They're failing out of school. They don't want to sit out a year. They don't want to transfer to a lower division school, lower division level of, of college football where they may be immediately able to play. That's the case with Tyler Romer. Tyler Romer was not going to be academically eligible to play at San Diego State. Didn't want to transfer to uh, an NAIA school or a lower level where he would be able to play. So he decided to enter the draft. Don't know if it's the best decision for him. We'll have to wait and see because he needs a lot of work on his game. But that's the route he took. Now, one of the more disconcerting things that I'm hearing is that players are being given bad information from the outside. And what do I mean by that? When the NFL Advisory Committee gives grades to players, they either give them a first-round grade, a second-round grade, or a grade that says, go back to school. What I've been told is a lot of these players who were given grades of go back to school have been told, well, that usually means you're going to go in the third round, when in fact they're not third-round prospects. They're late-round or undrafted free agent prospects. They've been told this by people, and when I say people on the outside, agents, advisors, financial uh, advisors, uh, people who have a skin in the game for these players to enter the NFL draft. So I think what's going to happen is of the 107 guys we see uh, who have already declared for the draft now and and what we're going to see the remaining five days, a lot of these guys may go unselected and may get a little bit upset because they're being given poor, bad information. I'm told there is a push to ask the advisory committee to expand their grades, to go from first round, second round, and go back to school to first round, second round, maybe third or fourth round, fifth or sixth round, seventh round, or undrafted free agency. And that all sounds well, but remember, the NFL, the NFL advisory committee does this. They don't get paid for this. These guys are paid to, to scout these players, not to do the extra work, and they have to run football teams and run scouting departments. So it'll be interesting to see the way this goes. Now, with that said, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at some of these uh, players that have already draft, uh, declared for the draft. And, you know, we're going we're to kind of decide whether or not it, it was a good decision. And we're going to point out some of the questionable decisions, if you will. When you look at the quarterbacks, Tyree Jackson of Buffalo declared for the draft this weekend. And he's a guy, while he has tremendous physical skills, really needed another year on the college level to develop his game. He makes some incredible passes, but for every one good pass he makes, he'll make three or four that are all over the place. He needs work on his mechanics, on his fundamentals. People say, well, he might as well learn that at the next level. Yeah, but the speed at the next level really picks up at a monumental pace compared to what he's playing against in the Mac, and things may be spinning a little bit faster for him than he can handle. So uh, I hope he does well, but I I don't think it was the best decision for him. You, You look at the running backs. I think Singletary of Florida Atlantic, he's a late-round pick if he if he's even drafted at all. Uh, Alexander Madison of Boise State entered the draft. Someone told me outright he's not going to be dra- he's not going to be selected at all. He's going to end up end up as an undrafted free agent. You're looking at the tight ends. Most of the tight ends uh, who went to the draft, I, I understand the receivers. Uh, John Asua of Hawaii, an overage guy. I doubt he's going to get drafted. Dylan Mitchell of Oregon, if he gets drafted, it's going to be in the late rounds, could end up as an undrafted free agent. Preston Williams, great physical skills, 
but a lot of character issues off the field. Uh, if he gets drafted, I mean, he, he is a guy who his physical skills and his play on the field warrant a second-day pick, but the off-the-field issues may be just a little bit too much. What do you see from that group, Chris? Oh, well, you mentioned Tyree Jackson. He's really the only quarterback that you could say you're surprised at uh, declaring here as an underclassman. He's a developmental day three guy, as you mentioned. He will drop balls in the bucket. He'll put balls in spaces where very few people can put those passes. He has a ton of arm talent. He's big. He's athletic. He can run. He can move. But he's inconsistent. Pressure in his face, accuracy in general. My thought on him is that he's probably jumping on what he views as being a weaker quarterback class this year, thinking that a team could take him late after passing on quarterbacks early simply because there aren't enough to go around. And he could say, I'm going to spend a year in a developmental system in the NFL and hopefully make enough of an impression on a team that they may not draft a quarterback early next year when there are a lot of options rather than I'm going to stay in school for one year. Maybe I develop a little at Buffalo. Maybe I develop more at the NFL level. And maybe he's still a day three pick the following season. And it's in a weaker or sorry, a stronger quarterback class where he's not able to go as highly as he was at the running back position. I thought Demarie Crockett out of Missouri was a little surprising. He's a bigger back, about 225 pounds, but he plays small, had some underwhelming production the past two seasons. Maybe he doesn't see that offense really taking off with Kelly Bryant replacing Drew Locke. So maybe he's taking advantage of that and saying, I'm going to go. But after his freshman season where he went over 1,000 yards, there wasn't really that much to see from Crockett. At the receiver position, I would look at Mecole Hardman. He's an excellent returner. He's a big play threat as a receiver, but he's a day three pick. Then again, he's a guy who may not have been on the rise next year. He may not have been a guy that had potential to be a day two pick next year. So he says, you know what, I'm going to go out now. I'm going to get the money now. I'm going to get drafted. And I'm going to get closer to my second contract if I end up sticking in the league. Tight end, as you said, no real surprises there. Most of the guys that come out came out are going to be uh, drafted where they should be on the first couple of days here, maybe early on day three. No real surprises there. Moving along to the trenches, Tony, are there any offensive or defensive linemen that surprised you by entering? Uh, Nate Herbig was of Stanford. Uh, if he's drafted, it's probably going to be in the sixth round. He was the guy who basically said from the start of the season he was going to enter the draft. Benzel Bulware, Miami of Florida, again, a guy, if he gets selected, is going to be a later round pick. Tyler Romer kind of breaks my heart to say this because I was so high on him, but I, I just think the fact that he played half the season – because he, he's, he had a knee injury, uh, he had a falling out with the coaches, and what's going to happen is scouts and teams are going to go back to the San Diego State coaches and, and ask about Romer, and I don't think he's going to get glowing reviews, uh, which is going to hurt his draft stock. If he's drafted, it's going to be uh, very late. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, uh, Kevin Givens of Penn State, I think, really needed another year on the college level. Defensive lineman, big guy, but really wide guy, I should say. Probably going to be just about six foot tall. Doesn't make a whole lot of plays. As far as the linebackers are concerned, Jeff Allison, Fresno State, highly unlikely he gets drafted. He's a big, tough uh, interior linebacker, a downhill guy who's outstanding against the run, but he doesn't play fast. He doesn't move all that well laterally. On third and five, you got to take him off the field, passing downs because he can't cover. Really a very one-dimensional two-down player and a limited athlete, and those guys usually don't get selected. Absolutely. And there have been way fewer declarations on the defensive side of the ball, which obviously leads to fewer surprises, at least compared to the players on offense that are coming out, especially at the skill positions. I can justify most of the declarations that I see on defense, especially in the secondary, 
The only slightly questionable one that I can see here is Xavier Crawford out of Central Michigan. He graduated last year, so you can look at that and you can look at both his age and the fact that while he does have one more year of eligibility left, he did transfer. Maybe he didn't like the Central Michigan program that much. Maybe he just wants to get to the NFL level. So on that hand, you can understand. But on the prospect side of things, he's not really that highly regarded of a player. He's not going to go on the first two days of the draft. Tony, what do you think of Crawford or any other guys that might have surprised you declaring from the secondary? Uh, you know, Crawford's really the only one. And I think we're going to see some more guys declare for the secondary. But Crawford, as you said, he's a bit of an overage guy. Now, I go. Let's go back to the, uh, you know, the running back class. Jordan Scarlett, Elijah Holyfield. Of Georgia, Scarlett from Florida, Alex Barnes of Kansas State. I mean, these guys are all six-round type of prospects. And these are the type of guys who I have a feeling, you know, we're told when they got the go-back-to-school grade, you know, you could go third round. And, and I don't see any of them going third round. In fact, I see them going three rounds later from the third round in the six-round area. You know, the underclassmen still have five more days to declare, Chris, so, there's, so we can expect a few more surprises. And that's it for the 22nd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review, and feel free to send us questions to answer on the show. As always, head on over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest NFL draft news, and be sure to check back in over the weekend for our preview of draft season's first big event, the East-West Shrine Game in St. Petersburg, Florida. For Tony Pauline... This is Chris Tripodi, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.